My name is Julie Turney, and this is HR Sound Off, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent HR topics. But ultimately, we will be settling some of the many misconceptions that people have about the human resources profession. Some weeks you will hear from my guests, and other times it will be just you and me in the sound booth. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's sound off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of HR Sound Off. Joining me in the sound booth today, brave woman that she is, is one of my HR girlfriends, Mandisa Diggs. And I asked her to join me today to have this conversation on diversity, equality, and inclusion because I I have been following Mandisa for a while and her content as it relates to DNI is just absolutely amazing. She's gonna open your eyes to a lot of things as it relates to DNI. And I think that you are going to really enjoy getting to know her in this short space of time. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to the sound booth, Mandisa Diggs. That's, that's how the audience feels about you, Mandisa. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Hi, Julie. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor and a pleasure. I'm doing really well and excited to chat with you today. And thank you for the lovely welcome. Oh, you are so welcome. This is this is a new fanfare that I built. Um, <laughs> this app that I found and it creates this fanfare because I keep saying to my producer for the longest time, I need a fanfare, but I found one myself. Thanks, Dre. So, Mandisa, tell me, what is your story? How did you get here? Wow, how did I get, <laughs> how did I get here? Um, you know, I think when, when you say here, I'm assuming you're saying diversity and inclusion within human resources. Yes. And really, um, oftentimes, to be honest, Julie, when people ask that, particularly if you're with interviews i will start you know at the um professional level but i'll start with in this conversation back to childhood i've always had an interest in people i've always had an interest in people i've always had an interest in culture particularly mine wanting to learn more about who i am where i come from and then always had an interest in other cultures as well in terms of just learning soaking up so much Mm -hmm. knowledge and information um, I was in a conference a number of years ago, and the speaker was talking about you'll know you're fulfilling your purpose when you're um, in your professional life collides with um, what resonated with you as a child. Mm-hmm. And, and it was profound for me because I thought, well, you know, I always really sought to dig deep and to learn about um, different um, ethnicities and races all over the globe as mm-hmm. a kid and didn't even know the right terms. Right. So, uh, yeah. so, so. You know, um, in college, I was really active in um, the Black Student Union. I was active with Chicano Studies um, program and collaborating with both groups there. And then um, and after college, I kind of fell literally into a collegiate recruiting position. It wasn't something that I had aspirations to do, kind of just naturally organically happened as I was navigating my way into um, the professional world. And it was during that time of recruiting um, for a graduate student at Indiana State University. I worked for a dean who was from Ghana. So that was really exciting for me first to learn about him, his yeah. family, and um, mm-hmm. have him kind of tutor me as a young budding professional. But then also um, organizing and owning the admissions department, kind of my first real gig, if you will. Right. Um, he was challenging me to think through 
hey, make sure that um, the, the publications that are coming out of our institution from our marketing department reflect diverse students. And I hadn't really thought about it that way. Um, and we would flip through um, the, the materials that we would send out at that time. We still had college books, view books is what they were called. Right. And we said, hey, why isn't there you know, enough diversity here? And so from that early um, stage in my career, I had the mindset of ensuring that you know, we were really reflecting and articulating and reaching out to diverse audiences, even in such a small university in the middle of Indiana, which is not that diverse, by the way. Um, and that kind of mindset followed me through my career. Mm -hmm. That's amazing that you were able to have such exposure. Like, what did that feel like in that moment? Um, you know, at, at first it felt... Um, a little overwhelming because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. only being a couple of years out of school myself, uh, having a staff that was some some women were twenty years older than I was to be their mm -hmm. manager, uh, and to really try to make sure that we were doing justice to um, the outreach efforts uh, to make sure that we were you know building diverse cohort of graduate students. I, I was really nervous. I didn't want to just do substandard work. Right. Um, but at the same time, that nervousness kind of fueled me. It challenged me to you know, take our institution to, to new programs. I remember us going down to New Orleans uh, to some HBCUs there and talked to a number of students. And then, you know, two months later, there was a gentleman walking on campus and um, we kind of caught eye contact. And I said, wow, I, I remember you. He said, yeah, you recruited me. I'm like, really? He said, yes, it was your conversation with African-American men, your conversation that spurred me to come here to get my PhD in counseling. And so oh, those cool. type of um, conversations that, you know, rewarding. In fact, that Julie, I haven't even thought about that story in who knows how long, but you <laughs> know, it, it, it kind of gave me more fuel to say, yes, we need more yeah. of this. It's exciting that he's come here from New Orleans, hadn't even, didn't even have our institution on his radar, but at the same time, he's the lonely only, the one of only in his cohort mm -hmm. of other PhDs is the only black male in, the, in, in his class. So that's mm -hmm. unacceptable. And yeah. so to, to push forward right that's amazing that your you know ability to impact lives as you talk about you know being more inclusive and recognizing diversity um in any environment is is particularly important and the fact that you're able to make such an impact on people and bring that awareness is is huge and part of the reason why i wanted to have this conversation with you so for our audience um especially for those of us who are based in the Caribbean, not quite having that um, full understanding of what this diversity and inclusion movement has become, as a, mm -hmm. particularly as a result of what happened with George Floyd. Mm -hmm. uh, let's face it, we've been dealing with Black people in America losing their lives at the hands of police for a very long time. I actually remember listening to a TED Talk um, where I can't remember the name of the lady that gave the TED talk, but which is really, really awful. But she gave this TED talk and she asked the audience to stand and she started to call the names of black women who mm. have lost their lives at the hands of the police. Mm. And she asked the audience to stand if they knew these names. And if you didn't know the name, then you were asked to sit. Wow. And it was it, it left a very huge impact on me after coming away hearing that TED talk. We hear a lot about black men losing their lives, mm -hmm. but it's happening to black women as well. When we think of Breonna Taylor, 
Mm -hmm. um, these things are things that have been happening for a long time and have caused serious discussions about diversity, equality, inclusion in the workplace for a very long time. But can you just break it down for us? What is diversity, equality, and inclusion? What does it mean in the workplace? Yeah, yeah, thank you for the question. So um, diversity, equality, and inclusion, you know, sometimes I, I say <laughs> in some regard, it's about being, it's about honoring humanity, first of all. Yeah. Um, and really, when you think about diversity, if you, you take this, the diversity element, it's about recognizing the brilliance that each, each of us brings to the table to our workplaces, the brilliance that we bring, the uniqueness that we bring, the different ideas that we bring. Uh, and it's about honoring that and really intentionally seeking out difference so that you have um, creativity and innovation. And you can't get that. If you get the same, if you get a room of people from the same schools, the same races, the same ethnicities, the same backgrounds, yes. speak the same languages, you'll have a, a, a group think is what you will have. Right. Inclusion is making sure that um, all of those diff all of that difference that we just mentioned can be free enough, welcome enough, invited enough to to add their input and have it be received. Mm -hmm. Have it be received. Yes. So, so many years ago, decades ago now, particularly in the U.S., but certainly all over the world, mm -hmm. um, there was this big push to get diversity, to have outreach, and to really have to be on a tokenism. Right. So you might have a room full of, um, you know, folks from different countries, from different races in the U.S. and, and elsewhere, um, but their voice was never heard. They're just mm -hmm. kind of showpieces, which is unfortunate. So right. inclusion is ensuring that those voices can really be leveraged and maximize for optimal uh, creativity and innovation. And then in equity um, is really around, listen, all of us require different needs, just like a parent has maybe five children. How you engage with those children will require different tactics, different strategies. Absolutely. You're not gonna put one child over the other, but how you connect, how you teach, how they uh, soak in the knowledge will be different. Some are visual learners, some are audio, uh, you know, auditory learners. I don't think mm -hmm. I said that correctly, but um, um, you know, vocals. Uh, some need to see um, pictures drawn out, whatever that strategy is. Visual people are how to engage with your children and you know how to connect and that's the same at work. Right. You understand what might resonate, what will not, and make sure that you're putting in techniques so that everyone can thrive. And the same approach does not work for every person. Right. Hopefully Thank that makes sense. That, that makes perfect sense. And thank you for explaining that. Um, living and residing in the U.S., um, working in very diverse cultures, what does your role entail um, at this particular time? Sure. So it, it encompasses several things. Uh, one, it's really around thinking intentionally, thinking strategically with business leaders at the SVP level, EVP level, um, the C-suite, uh, and thinking through um, where are the gaps in our organization? Um, and then not just identifying gaps, but thinking through um, how we might intentionally go about closing the gaps so that um, we have those diverse voices that we talked about um, in the room, but also we are including them uh, in decision-making and in innovation. So that might look differently for a team that is recruiting uh, and hiring a lot of talent uh, mm -hmm. and where we go after talent and helping our managers think through, do they have to come from that university? Why can't they come from this university? And, and be intentional there 
thinking through what it's promotion time, um, um, who is considered a leader and who isn't? And are we promoting on performance or on potential? And are we aligned there? Yeah. Uh, and and is, is there a disconnect there? And why does it take one group of people uh, 3.5 years to be promoted into the next level? And it takes another group of people uh, two years. Mm -hmm. That's interesting yes. um, to look at the data. Mm -hmm. uh, and then thinking through the culture uh, and how employees feel welcome, valued, respected, heard. They feel like they belong. They feel like they can contribute. Would they recommend this is the best place to work to their peers? Mm -hmm. And so all of those require strategies and tactics and conversations. And then the last thing I'll say is empowering our managers to have courageous conversations. So you mentioned a little while ago, um, um, George Floyd, you mentioned black women um, dying at the hands of authority, at the hands of police. That's really untold stories. Um, in today's society, unlike 30, 40, 50 years ago, where we used to all come into work and punch our time cards in, and yes. just do our role and then yes. leave. You know, we're all working from home now with COVID across the globe. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Um, our our work-life balance before COVID even happened with the convergence of technology and, and how we engage with our mm -hmm. peers and co-workers that can sit in Singapore or sit in Jamaica or sit all over the globe and we engage together. There is no more eight to five only. Um, no. we're, we're collaborating across the globe. And so when that happens, work and life intersect. And so it's very difficult then to not talk about life um, at work and to yeah. help uh, our peers and our coworkers and our teams understand where we stand as a company and help them to cope and deal uh, and to, you know, uh, acknowledge what our fellow humans are going through yes, uh, yeah. around the globe. And so sometimes those are tough conversations that we may not be equipped to have, right. like with the case with George Floyd. And so, mm -hmm part of my role to help empower managers to understand why they shouldn't shy away from it and then help them to have um, courageous conversations that feel authentic to their team mm -hmm. uh, and then really allow them to check in with their people show that they care. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, there's so many nuggets that have come out of everything that you have just said, um, but I'm going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable right now. Okay. <laughs> If okay. you don't mind, I I want to like, okay, so what is the most uncomfortable experience that you have had, especially now, um, after current events? What are some of the, what is one of the most difficult experiences that you've had to date? Wow. Um, one of the most <laughs> difficult experiences that I've had to date, but then you said, uh, I, I'm kind of in this time period, in this time period of George Floyd. Yeah. Um, this summer was, I, I probably, I probably will be monumental for me um, personally and then, you know, for us in society. Here's why. Yeah. Back in 2015 in the U.S., because um, I know your listeners are from all over, but in 2015, 2016, there was a rash of, um, of killings, murders of unarmed Black men that happened then. And, um, and I went through a range of emotions. Um, but for some reason, this time, it was even more significant. Um, and, and I'm not sure if it, if it was because I'm just tired of seeing this, because this isn't the first time, or the second time, or the third time. Right. Um, or if it was because the manner in which George Ford specifically yeah. died. Mm -hmm. um, but this was very, very, very tough. And I'll, and I'll, if you'll indulge me since you asked, I'll walk you through yes, absolutely. What, 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 how, why it was tough. Mm -hmm. So for George Floyd, 
in the U.S. We experienced and got word of Breonna Taylor, who her murder um, happened weeks and weeks and weeks be um, ago before it went, you know, viral in terms mm -hmm. of us being having privy to that happening. Who mm -hmm. um, weren't part of the Louisville community, and then um, um, there was um, Ahmaud Arbery as well. Yeah. So yeah. those two were already stirring up emotions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and there are some others, you know, some other injustices happening with the with the advancement of technology. You could see um, injustices happening that not, did not lead to murder per, per se, but could have if they, yeah. if, you know, if the series of events changed in any, any way. Yeah. Um, and so those things were already kind of impacting me. And in my organization, I realized that. Listen, I'm thinking that. We might want to go ahead and start to empower our leaders to have some courageous conversations because this is bubbling up at work. These yeah. topics are really hurting um, multiple demographics, particularly Black Americans, mm -hmm. um, because they're dealing with this day to day. Uh, and then to add on that, then now came the George Floyd murder. Yeah. So things for me personally and professionally were already brewing. I was yeah. already thinking through some strategies and talking real time with some leaders. Mm -hmm. on how to have some courageous conversations that was happening real time there right. were some requests to pause it we, we think it's important mandisa but let's hold we've tried this before and it went it went left right. let's hold so those things were already kind of cooking yes. and then george floyd happened and so for me it's like whoa yeah. uh this was over the top mm -hmm. the way that he died um the reaction yeah. from 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 leaders yeah. all over the nation mm -hmm. uh now turned into a incredible um freak out yes. everyone is just freaking out and wanting the dni professionals including myself to fix it and solve it and make everyone feel better tomorrow yeah. overnight yeah and so you know uh it, it started to really impact me so much differently than when this these types of things happened before because mm -hmm. i too am part of this community and so you do have to do a little bit of compartmentalizing and yeah. making sure that you're rising to the occasion to serve your organization Mm -hmm. But I'm also a part of this, uh, you know, community, and so it it, it it touched me in a different way. Yeah. Wow. And it propelled you to write an article. <laughs> yes. Yes, and that was my word. How? <laughs> listen to me. When Sana told, because Sana was the one we had a so we're both members of HR girlfriends. Yes. Yes. We were having some lockdown sessions that were just to support us as HR professionals. Right. Sana Rasul, oh my gosh, at her ability to help us get through this particular time. Mm -hmm. I am very indebted to her for educating all of us. But mm -hmm. when she, she said, okay, Mandisa Diggs wrote this article, y'all, y'all gotta go read this. <laughs> Typical. Typical Sana fashion. So I went and I read this article and I was like, wow. And it was at that moment I knew I had to have this conversation with you right yes. here, right now. I knew this had to happen. Let's give the, the people a little snippet of this article that you wrote and why okay. you felt it was necessary to write it. Okay. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> uh so I, I shared this, the backstage of things brewing with me, just personally, professionally, yeah. what I was working on, what, how things are impacting me um, personally, just feeling sad, but pushing on. Um, and 
Right when George Floyd's murder happened, I it wasn't instant for me feeling the, the floodgates opening and me writing this article. Um, the nature of our work, and I put this in the article, is you know, being part of diversity and inclusion, you have to rise and serve the organization. And I I think of it as 9-11. When 9-11 happened in the US and when other catastrophes happen all over the globe, you have your EMT workers, you have your early responders that have to come in and they go and they head into the chaos and they head to leave. Mm -hmm. um, so when you have a diversity, equity and inclusion type of topic happen or yeah. something around social justice, mm -hmm. it's HR that rises to the occasion holistically. And yes, it's certainly those that sit with uh, DNI that should be leading people into the right way, coaching leaders, uh, working with employees, helping them. And so early on, it was my hope that we would respond in a way that we would A, empower leaders to be having these courageous conversations that we should have been having before George Floyd. Right. Um, and then, to be honest, care for the Black community because they needed it. Yeah. Um, not just solidarity statements, but really think through um, how do you talk about uh, collective trauma and collective grief? Yeah. And how do we face that head on bravely? Yeah. And yeah. when those things really started to crumble and didn't really rise to the level that I thought we should be rising at, mm -hmm. it triggered me yeah. to then just write. And my way of dealing with my own emotion was to just purge every thought. And yeah. I talked about grief. Mm -hmm. I talked about when you're grieving, there's these different roles that people will have. One is to still help the family. You've got to make the arrangements. You've got to um, make sure others are okay. Yeah. Um, and that was how I saw DNI at that time, or, or like an early responder, or yeah. like a you know a family member caring for arrangements if you have a death in the family. Mm -hmm. But then I went on to quote um, Mary Winters from the Winters Group, who yeah. did a, a great body of work back in 2015. I mentioned these things, a string of deaths and murders mm -hmm. happened a number of years ago. She talked about that collective trauma and mm -hmm. collective grief. Mm -hmm. And I discussed how, for me personally, I was experiencing literal physical grief and ailment mm -hmm. and just sorrow uh, and despair and how that actually goes completely against my day job where I'm supposed to bring in um, hope and optimism mm -hmm. and you know, solutions mm -hmm. and um, forward thinking, yeah. and, you know, kind of the two... Uh, Conflicting yeah. together. So I wrote. <laughs> wow. And I, I must say, I encourage any everyone who has not read this article that Mandisa wrote. I am going to post it in the comments okay. uh, with this podcast so that people will get the opportunity to read it and, and um, share your voice. Comment on it. Let Mandisa know how you feel about what she wrote, if you're in agreement, and even if you're not. You know, share your thoughts because, you know, it's important that we educate ourselves and that's the only way we develop and we grow and we do better, right? And we be better. One thing I'll add to that, if I can, if you'll indulge me, mm -hmm. is um, I wrote that for me, literally. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I, like I said, it was literally a purge of my thoughts, my own fears and my family, um, being a part of the Black community, worrying for Black men and women in my family. And... Um, it's not something that as an HR professional, certainly as a DNI professional, you see a lot of people putting their own selves, yeah. their own vulnerability out there. Mm -hmm. But I wrote it for me. And once I hit, once I finished the article and I decided to make it public, 
I slept the best that I had slept in weeks. Wow. And and I and I and I actually was anticipating the worst. I was anticipating a little bit of backlash, and I was anticipating five people to read it. You know, but and you didn't get that. That's that's literally what I thought. But yeah. I personally, I felt better, and I was able to kind of move forward. Absolutely. And the response that I got, yes, was one million not expecting. Yeah. So blown away. Yes. And I'll share this and then we can move on. There was two types of responses that I received. Mm-hmm. One were from members um, who are not black, you know, members of our ally community, colleagues mm-hmm. of all races um, mm-hmm. who expressed uh, uh, deep outrage and um, showed empathy and compassion for my article. And um, they shared that there was felt a little bit heartbroken at what I wrote. Now yeah. listen, for me, I was shocked. I thought, oh, this is the dysfunction of being part of an underrepresented and sometimes marginalized group. Mm-hmm. Because it helped me to understand that how others may not even could could not even imagine feeling this way and still functioning. Yeah. Because my thought was, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm good. Why are you crying? Like, I'm really good. I'm, you know, working and moving on. Mm-hmm. I feel great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, and like, this is madness that someone, a colleague, would feel this way. So there was that that blew me away, and that's really the dysfunction of it all. I thought about writing about that experience. Right. And the other voice were from people of the Black community from all over who said, thank you. This is exactly how I've been feeling and couldn't put it into words. And my yeah. thought was, whoa. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> but you know, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. This is exactly how I've been feeling, and thank you. So both of those responses really blew me away, and I'm just um, surprised, humbled. You know, yeah. I, I felt better. I wrote it for me, and whatever came of it would come. So yeah, that's awesome. I feel that that's um, you said a lot of things that a lot of Black people wanted to say, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I and I also got comments, saw some of those comments, like from people who are, as you said, in the in the ally community, who you know were just heartbroken, you mm-hmm. know, up by by what you wrote, absolutely mm-hmm. heartbroken by the situation and the fact that you know we have to feel these things and go through these things. Um, but it is a way of it is that's life. This is what this is what we have to yep. live with and what we have to deal with. But I, I personally, Mandisa, want to thank you for you know taking the time to articulate your thoughts and put them down in writing for people to see um, and help people to you know kind of get some kind of release and, and closure as well. Because the, like you said, there are a lot of people who are feeling who are still feeling things. Mm-hmm. Don't know how to articulate it. Don't know how to deal with it. So I want to thank you personally for for being so brave to take the time to do that and in all of your pain, push that out there and then get the release that you need to go forward. Thank you. That's powerful. So let me ask you this. As I told you, um, a lot of our listeners are from the Caribbean Mm -hmm. where where Black is the majority. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of our listeners are from the Caribbean where they may have had the E&I um, situations, but they haven't been able to articulate it, call it out. Um, a lot of our listeners are 
from the Caribbean, HR professionals who don't understand why DEI needs to be a part of their role or even why it should be separate and distinct. And I just want you to talk to, to this side of my audience for a moment, yeah. where we are the majority, but still, um, in terms of our culture, the Caribbean people, there are cultural biases. Yeah. Um, even when we have persons from different Caribbean islands living in our island, working in our island, there are various cultural biases that exist. Um, we always have an equality issue in the Caribbean as well as it relates to, and I think that's a global issue, um, women receiving equal pay, mm -hmm. receiving, you know, C-suite positions, mm -hmm. all of these things. So let's break this down just a little bit. Let's talk about cultural differences and cultural inclusion and diversity as it exists. For those of us who live in environments where we are the majority, what are the things that we can do in order to create that diverse and inclusive workforce? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a, a lot, a lot. So even though, <laughs> even though, um, you, you know, um, race specifically may not be a major issue yeah. to your point culturally um, um you've got colleagues who are coming from all over the caribbean from all different um other islands and countries and uh ensuring that their voice is being heard and their perspective well how did things how, how did you um go about recruiting in jamaica um how, tell us a little bit about some of the challenges and um innovative ways that you uh, looked at that or in Aruba or wherever um, your team is from, being able to acknowledge um, that someone might be bringing something, um, a different experience. First of all, it's valid. It's like, thank you for seeing me. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that I'm here, um, but thank you for seeing me and recognizing that I bring, you know, I'm making this up now, five years of experience having lived in, or having come from um, another place mm -hmm. uh, and that I, I bring experience there. So there's that culturally, uh, but also there's so much diversity and inclusion when you think about generation, right? And so are there any generational biases in terms of, oh, you have to be at a certain age to be able to finally be able to be promoted, even mm -hmm. though this person who may be a, a Gen Z or millennial did all of these awesome projects that no one else has done. Um, are we dismissing that person generationally, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and thinking through, you know, in team meetings, calling out, as I mentioned, individuals so that their voice can be heard. And also culturally, going back to culturally, mm -hmm. there may be some individuals who, because of the generations, they may not necessarily want to challenge an idea in the room. Yeah. So are we as leaders and as HR professionals thinking through other ways to receive feedback, mm -hmm. um, you know, by sending the agenda out ahead of the meeting or having some one-on-ones? or uh, anonymous surveys or whatever, whatever means that works to generate feedback through a multiple, um, through multiple ways. Yeah. It's really, it may sound so simple and unimportant, but it really does get to DNI because it helps those that may not feel as comfortable speaking up mm -hmm. in the middle of the room, yeah. making themselves so vulnerable do that. Yeah. And, and I think honoring, um, the, the, the different back, uh, different backgrounds by first sharing your own, mm -hmm. by first sharing your own background and and what shapes your worldview and what um, why you are the way that you are and then opening the floor for your team 
um, and coaching your leaders to do the same will be it to, oh, I never knew that you spent, you know, 10 years in India and that your family is from there and that, um, you know, you, you, you bring this different perspective. Wow, mm -hmm. could you tell us more? I did not know that before. We could have tapped into that with this client had we known. Yeah. Uh, and, and so thank you for that because no one likes to be excluded. And also, I think it's freeing when you're able to really um, share those parts of yourself. You're not so busy trying to guard yeah. elements of yourself that doesn't fit into the majority mm -hmm. um, um, that you're able to just be more free and be in that frees up mind space mm -hmm. to create for the company, to create for your role. Absolutely. I love the fact that you also tapped into generational differences. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of took away the question I was going to ask before you answered it now, but thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, because I find that um, especially in in the Caribbean, as we work in the hotel industry, government, yeah, understanding all these different generations that are now converging together, that mm -hmm. also include my parents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and the generations under me um, all converging together at a particular point. And how do you deal with that? And do you recognize that that is also part of diversity and inclusion? Yeah. And why do we pay, you know, people now coming into the organization, why are we paying, you know, Gen Z less? Because mm -hmm. um, they're young and they're upstart, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's the kind of mentality that you have versus, let's pay the best person the best pay possible to do the job that's um, right and and these are things that are really causing serious conversation now especially in the caribbean as you know people are getting ready to retire and that knowledge sharing and um do people really want to share knowledge with younger the younger generation so they can then lose their job and yep. those kind of things so um i think that it's important that we recognize as hr professionals that we play a very key role here in terms of how we help people to transition through that and that that is also part of, of de and i and, and being able to segment that yeah no I, I think that's very key and so uh in the caribbean then i mentioned um in the u.s coaching managers on courageous conversations on race but in the caribbean hr leaders can have literally courageous conversations on generation courageous conversations on culture. Mm -hmm. um, because if they're aware of a bias that may exist between one island versus another and how that's showing up in the workplace mm -hmm. or how it's showing up when we go to hire or promote, yeah. let's talk about it. Um, mm -hmm. Social economic as well, status, yeah. uh, and how that's showing up. Um, there are ways that we can you know, take scenario modeling um, or role playing real scenarios that have happened you'll tweak it you know so that no one will know right. what you're specifically talking about but empowering managers to be able to deal with these situations and let them know that it goes against the values of your organization and if it does then how are you addressing that uh, from a number of different lenses as we mentioned absolutely i love the fact that you call them courageous conversations because mm -hmm. they're not always the easiest conversations to have Everyone is not in that frame of mind to have those conversations or recognize that it does take courage to bring these particular topics up, especially at the levels that you're yeah. looking to have these conversations at as you engage C-suite, senior leadership, 
in these particular areas that it's really important that you recognize that it does take courage to have those conversations. Yeah. What are the um, what are the avenues that people have or would have then um, to be able to find support mm-hmm. to, to kind of like brainstorm um, for people who have not pretty much facilitated DE and I conversations before? Where are some of the places that people can go? Yeah, a number. I mean, there's so many resources out now that there were that wasn't even out five years ago and certainly ten. Um, you know, first of all, HR girlfriends can be uh, a source. We're, we're doing. Uh, that, I said we're plugging that together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's that. Um, but then there are so many different um, books. You know, I'm reading uh, Mary Frances's new uh, Inclusive Conversations book. Um, that literally helps um, managers, helps leaders, HR professionals think through having those courageous conversations and what steps might need to be in place. For instance, uh, with the George Floyd here in the U.S., uh, managers wanted to overnight, let's go, okay, I'm ready to talk about this race situation, I'm ready to address this, when yesterday you never discussed anything outside of the confines of your role. So you've got to build trust and you've got to build authenticity and you've got to, you know, you have to kind of do the the basics before you just rush in and and start to discuss now um, these really polarizing and deeply sensitive and personal topics. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, books like Inclusive Conversations will help. Um, LinkedIn, there are so many groups now uh, on LinkedIn that individuals can tap into. Mm -hmm. Um, The Institute for Diversity is one. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, gosh, of course, my my mind will go slightly blank here. Um, The Kaleidoscope Group is another um, that I've personally used, Doug Harris and the Kaleidoscope Group. I've talked about the Winters Group. I'm literally putting out free resources, free materials. Right. Um, people to be able to leverage. Um, I have another book that I have had for a number of years, um, but I want to reread it, and it's called The Inclusion Paradox by Andreas Tapia, and he um, okay. he's a consultant uh, with Corn Ferry, so, uh, you know, great resources there for sure. Okay. Um, you know, I follow a number of individuals on LinkedIn that I can um, spit out for you yeah. and your listeners. A couple of links uh, that that give me great tips as well. So perfect. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cornell has an awesome program, by the way, that people can you know pursue in addition to um, the Institute for Diversity. Um, so there's a number of different certification programs, and then you know where I can help. I'm happy to have some one-on-ones as, as well with people. So awesome. That's great. I'm sure that the audience will be willing to take you up on those. Um, <laughs> Those, those conversations and looking some time with you to talk and get some more information for sure. So, Paula, what are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you want to share with our audience? Besides yeah, what well, you just shared. <laughs> yeah, well, I just shared um, the inclusive <laughs> conversations. Um, there's a new book that I'm waiting to uh, get that I think is going to come out um, next month called Black Fatigue. It's also by uh, Mary Winters. So she's an expert in race. And so what I've been digging in there more recently is because we're having a lot of conversations specifically around race. And I like to see um, what's what's been written out there. Another book that I have um, is How to Be an Inclusive Leader um, by Jennifer Brown. And I'm reading this so that I can give good nuggets to um, leaders uh, in my own arsenal uh, um, as well. 
um, you know, how to be an anti-racist is hot right now. Um, so I'm reading that as well. Um, there's a number of um, podcasts that I've saved on LinkedIn that I want to go back and check out. But those, that's what I'm reading right now. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. So what's next for Mandisa Diggs? What's next? Um, you know, just getting through this time period, this uh, movement. There's a lot of conversation right now on are we in a movement or was this just a moment? Was this just a moment six weeks ago, eight weeks ago? I'm seeing some rhetoric on both sides. Mm -hmm. um, I'm seeing where organizations who are first out the gate to start to address this, put their solidarity statements out, hire consultants. Um, I've been asked, you know, for recommendations of consultants and what they can do. Um, those same organizations are running out of steam. And so I'm seeing comments that are saying, I think this was just a moment instead of a movement. And so for me, thinking intentionally about how, for those that are in my sphere of influence, I can empower them and myself to make this a serious movement. Um, and um, coach where I can. And then also I've learned from writing my own article, you know, that my voice too has meaning and it matters and to not censor myself as much as I've been accustomed to. When you're in HR, um, and especially when you're one of the only onlys in HR and in a DNI, yes, you challenge others to be as authentic as they can. You challenge others to um, um, be brave and be vulnerable, but I'm not so sure how many of us are doing the exact same thing. And so that's taught me to continue right. to be very, very real and authentic. And um, I think more of that will come. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Thank you for sharing. And can you tell our audience where they can find you on social media? Sure. So uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn. I'm a nerd, I know. Uh, <laughs> but I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, when I, after I wrote the article and we did some events um, together and, and co-sponsorship with HR Girlfriends, some folks found me on Instagram. It's blank, so I need to get that up and running. I understand. But I am on Facebook um, and uh, I, I am on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best way to find me. Yes, <laughs> that's where I find you. That's where most of us hang. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Mandisa, I want to thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the Sambles today. And I feel like um this is just maybe part one of a very long series of conversations that we're gonna have. I know that this is just the beginning, especially for those of us in the Caribbean who are trying to, you know, be more inclusive, recognize the importance of diversity and equality in the workplace. Um, and I feel like this is an ongoing discussion that we need to have because it's not just a moment, it is a movement. Um, but that means they have to build traction. We all have to do better and we all have to play our part. And I am so grateful that you are in this journey with, with us and that we have you as an amazing resource to, you know, call on if we need any help or assistance. I thank you so much for sharing your knowledge today. And uh, we look forward to having you. Thank you survived your time in the South, my lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Julie. Thank you for having me. And I think we can learn from each other, right? And so um, um, the thing about DNI is because it's it's so connected to our humanity, mm -hmm. no one has all the answers, right? Mm -hmm. No one does. Um, and, and once we solve for one lens, DNI, as because we keep evolving, keep growing, there's always so many others, and so uh, we can learn from each other. So, I'm sure. happy to help. Let me ask you one last question. Mm. 
what's the biggest misconception about DNI, DENI that you've heard that really bothers you that you want to set the record straight on? The biggest misconception, well, in the U.S., one of the biggest misconceptions that's now being addressed more locally is that it's not for white people to participate in or white people do not have diversity because they are the majority. Mm -hmm. um, and that's simply not true. And in fact, um, because they are the majority, we actually really need them at the table. And in the past, this work in the U.S., particularly DNI, would be kind of the side project where, okay, we only have a couple of this group or that group, we only have a couple of women, so we'll go over here and we'll do a special program. And so the rest of the majority, particularly white men, they would continue to run the business. Mm -hmm. And because they weren't part of those conversations and discussions, both those in DNI and those in the business, uh, part of the majority population, i.e. white men, felt like it wasn't for them. And I think that's a big miss, a big misconception, and we're solving for that now. We have been for a number of years, but I think it's being more amplified and accelerated now because they're the ones that still are in the majority that need to add their power, their influence to the table to really yeah. accelerate this work at a much faster rate. And so that those two pockets must come together at all times. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate it. And like we could talk all day <laughs> on this particular topic alone or on HR specifically. Um, but like I said, I don't think that this is the last conversation between us. All I'm, right. sure there, I'm sure there will be more, but thank you for I your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again when we next sound off.